The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 25. Very familiar text for us. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, What is written in the law? What do you, how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went down to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he set out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So we know this story, right? I mean, we, we, we're all familiar with this. This is the story of the man who is identified as the Samaritan, and he sees someone suffering, and he stops to help, ostensibly for no other reason than the fact that there's somebody who needs help. And this little act of kindness has become such a powerful symbol to us uh, that the Samaritan has become a sort of folk hero in our world. Right, So to be called a Samaritan is to be praised for some uh, great act of kindness that you have done that's uh, probably cost you a little bit. Uh, we have good Samaritan laws in this country that protect and encourage people to, hey, step out and get involved and help. The word Samaritan uh, now conjures up feelings of care and hospitality. And so we have places like Um, hospitals that are dotted around the country that all bear his name. In Austin, the Samaritan Center provides uh, spiritual and emotional support for those who are in need. In Houston, there's a Good Samaritan Foundation that supports the uh, education for nursing staff. And in San Antonio, there are the Good Samaritan Community Services, and they uh, provide um, job training and and things like that for low-income families. Few people have lent their name to such a large number of good works and programs and projects as this guy, the Good Samaritan. And like, I really, I like Bill and Melinda Gates a lot. I really do. But they've got nothing on this guy. 
He also shows up in some really interesting places. Uh, for two years, Tiffany and I lived in uh, a town um, in the middle of Germany. Uh, the town was named Chemnitz. And Chemnitz is in the heart of what used to be communist East Germany. Uh, East Germany, West Germany, they've been one country now for 26 years. But still, that area is considered, um, this is true, the most secular society in the entire world in terms of the number of people who believe in God. It's actually less than 25% of people. And yet in this town that's like the bastion of, of atheism, uh, there we were on this little corner and right across the street was a pharmacy and Tiffany would send me there to get you know, medicine and prenatal vitamins, things like that. And it was the Samaritan Pharmacy. So there he was, our little icon of, of like Christian love and compassion in, in the middle of a city that has a 26-foot uh, granite statue of Karl Marx's head, the great atheist philosopher. So everybody knows the Samaritan, and that is a good thing. It's a good thing because there's so much apathy in this world, right? Or if it's not apathy, it's that there's all of this suffering, and it's just coming to us from, from the, the TV and the internet, and and we can just become numb to it because it's so much, and we can't, we can't process it. Uh, just yesterday, I was talking with somebody about uh, Syrian refugees. Like, I just can't, I can't process that kind of suffering. We become numb to it. Or sometimes we buy into this idea that compassion looks like sharing a post on Facebook, or using a particular Twitter hashtag. And so we need this story. We need this story to remind us that compassion means getting down and, and being with somebody, you know, getting our hands dirty, maybe even opening our wallets. That's what compassion means. But of course, we Christians, we Bible-reading Christians, we know that there's so much more to the story than this, Right? We know a little bit about what it means to be a Samaritan. You know, we all know about the difference and the tension and maybe even the hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so I, I remember, and I think it was Lori Dawson in that classroom there, um, who was telling us uh, about how the Samaritan's kindness to this man wasn't just an act of compassion. It was, it was really an act of courage. Uh, she explained how his love prompted him to cross some pretty intense barriers of race and, and culture and, and religion. And she explained how the audience, Jesus' audience, it would have been scandalized to hear how a Samaritan helped a Jewish man. They would have also been upset to have their religious leaders portrayed as callous hypocrites. And so we Christians know that the Samaritan is not just a symbol of kindness in an unkind world. He is also a crusader against our us versus them tribalism. That us versus them tribalism that kind of makes the radical love of Jesus so hard to live out. Of course, we know all this because we know the story. We know the story, but what I want to know is, do we know the question? Not the lawyer's question. We know the lawyer's question. He asks, who is my neighbor? Right? The lawyer wants to know who Jesus thinks the term neighbor is supposed to apply to. Uh, who is it that he should love? Whom should he embrace as a brother or sister? 
When he shows up in the name of God to lend a helping hand, who exactly should that be for? Now, he has already a few ideas about the answers to those questions. Okay, he has a, a, he's a scholar of the Hebrew law. He's got a PhD in determining who are God's people, right? who's in and who's out. So he's not wanting to know because he doesn't know. He thinks he knows. No, what he wants to know rather is who Jesus thinks is in or out. And he especially wants to know if Jesus has the audacity to suggest that God's commandment to love our neighbors means loving those people outside the borders of God's people. You know, what about our enemies? What about those who are oppressing us? Jesus, what about those dirty Romans? Jesus, tell us, do you really mean them too? That's the lawyer's question. But it's not the lawyer's question that is the key to unlocking this story. It's Jesus' question. After finishing the story, Jesus turns to the lawyer and he asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The man who's lying in the road, who's been robbed, who's bleeding and dying and desperate for help. Who was his neighbor? So the lawyer asked this question, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the question, who's the neighbor in the story? The answer is, of course, the one who showed him mercy. Who is my neighbor? Who is the neighbor? It's the one who showed him mercy. By turning the question back, Jesus reveals to his audience, to us and to the lawyer, that this isn't a story about a good Samaritan. This is the story about a man who is lying in a ditch. You see, the story's protagonist is the man we see at the beginning of the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, everyone who hears this, especially the lawyer, knows this road. They have probably traveled it a hundred times. And if you're coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's, it's all downhill and windy switchbacks. You actually descend about a kilometer, an entire thousand feet from the top of Mount Zion into the bottom of the Jordan River Valley. Okay, so it's a well-known road, and everybody knows it's the perfect place for robbers and bandits. It's like if I were to tell you guys, you know, you take 71 to Austin. Okay, you can picture that road. You've been there a million times. And so Jesus says, the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The lawyer's thinking maybe about the last time that he was on the road. And Jesus describes how the robbers surround the man Pounce him, strip him, beat him, leave him for dead. And everyone's thinking, yeah, like, I'm scared of that, actually, when I'm on that road. Like, I, I know that that is a possibility. Maybe I even know somebody that that has happened to. It's a real danger. And so the audience can really identify with this guy. They know what it's like. They can put themselves in the story as the man on the road, the man who is beaten and left for dead. And then, of course, the priest and the Levite come by, and everybody feels this disappointment when these men, these figures who represent righteousness and, and goodness and maybe even God himself, they walk on by. And then we have the Samaritan. He comes by, the stranger. And now here is where we like to put ourselves in the story 
right? Like, oh, good, the Samaritan's here, finally. Excellent, he's the good guy. The good guy is here. Like, if I'm going to be a character in the story, this is the character that I want to be, the Samaritan. We all want to be the Samaritan. Except that Jesus' audience can't actually do that. There's no way that they can identify with somebody like the Samaritan. This guy is too strange. He's too foreign, right? His politics are all backwards. His religion is backwards. His morality is backwards. Where this guy is, is so foreign to them that it's hard for them to imagine thinking about what it could possibly be like to be a Samaritan. And Jesus knows this, right? And so that's why this character is a Samaritan. The audience isn't supposed to be able to identify with him. The audience is not the Samaritan in the story. And we are not the Samaritan in this story. We are the guy who is down in the dirt. That's the protagonist. That's the main character. And that's us. And we find ourselves being bandaged up by the most unlikely person. See, everything we know about this guy tells us he's no good. He's the wrong kind of person. And yet, we are receiving from him love and mercy. And as people who are broken and in need, we're witnessing what godly, righteous love looks like by somebody who's not even supposed to have a clue what that is. You see, we're really used to the language of the Bible that commissions us and calls us, right? So Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world. He commissions us to go out and to make disciples and to baptize in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, to teach people the ways of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel of salvation. Okay, we want to feed the hungry and visit the sick and those in prison, we know that we're called to be the healing hands of Jesus to a world that, that really needs it, right? And, uh, you know, we know all this. It's, it's all over the gospel. It's all over the, the core of what it means to be God's people, to go out and to do and to be. But that's not what this story is all about, not exclusively, you see, this story is about the reality in which we find ourselves hurt and broken and in the dust because that's just how life is sometimes. And love, that holy, righteous love that gets its hands bloody for the sake of another person, that love can come from surprising places. And we've all been there, haven't we? You know, we have all been in the dirt and it's interesting how when we imagine ourselves in the place of the man on the road rather than as the Samaritan hero, all of a sudden this story might start feeling a little bit more familiar to us. No doubt some of you have been like literally robbed and beaten. And if that's not been you, we've all been mistreated. Um, we can all complain about work, right? But, you know, some of us, our school situation, our work situation has been in the past maybe really harmful. And maybe we're in the place, maybe we're in that place right now. Or we have, um, some of us have been mistreated at the hands of family members. And, oh, man, that wound is deep. 
Because those are the people and the places that are supposed to be safe. Or maybe it's just that the world's kind of mistreating us right now. Like maybe we're just tired of all the rain. I, I don't know. But sometimes we find ourselves lying in the road. And I don't know what hurts more when we're suffering, if it's just the suffering or if it's the fact that the people that we're, like, we're supposed to be able to rely on, we find that we can't. They, they abandon us. They, they're too busy uh, living out their lives to see how much we're struggling. And then, very often, something unexpected happens. Um, somebody shows up, and this person, for whatever reason, is paying attention. They see us. They recognize the suffering we're enduring. Compassion halts them in their tracks, and they offer us kindness, and we receive it, and it is beautiful. It is sacred. It is the kind of thing that Jesus says that all the law and the prophets are about. And it doesn't matter who it is, whether or not they know it, the love that they are showing is nothing less than the righteous love of Jesus Christ. Now here's why I think that this is important. Too often, I think that I am the Samaritan. Like, and I wanna be, like, I, I really wanna be the hero. And maybe it's just like an occupational hazard because I am a minister, but I suspect that uh, many of you may be the same way. Because for many Christians, especially those of you uh, with the gifts of mercy and compassion, uh, you know, we, um, we have some real lovers here, I'm sure, and, and we want to help, we want to serve, we want to bless in the name of Jesus, we want to be that Samaritan. But here's the danger. Sometimes we want to help just so much. We want to, we want to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. We, we, want to, we want to fix things, but we refuse to see our own hurts and our own wounds. We might even be in some serious trouble, but we're not going to think about that. You know, my needs aren't important. I, I'm here to serve you. I want to focus on you. Don't I want to focus on you. But let me tell you something. You can't give what you haven't got. It reminds me of uh, this scene from the new Star Wars movie uh, where there's, there's this character, his name is Finn, and he's like lying, he just got clobbered. He's like lying face down in the dirt. And, and he looks up and he sees his friend Ray. And Ray, she has um, just done a fabulous job taking care of herself. Like she's not in any trouble at all. And Finn, he looks up at her and um, she has just saved his life. And, and he, you know, very concerned look on his face. He says, are, are you okay? You know, and, and Ray's like, are you kidding me? Like I just saved you. And yet here Finn is, he, he's still trying to be her hero. There's another danger. The other danger is this, that when we imagine we're always bringing God's blessing for others, we can be very blind to the ways in which others are blessing us. So one day I was visiting a friend of mine. Her name is Miss Oliver. And she called me one day to tell me that her middle-aged grandson had just been admitted to the hospital. They had discovered that he had liver cirrhosis and he was dying. Um, so I went to her house, and when I arrived, I discovered that the recent flooding had warped some of the wood in her flooring, and it had buckled 
and she is paralyzed, and so she's in a mobilized chair, and the wood was obstructing uh, the path for uh, her mobilized chair. It was causing her some problems. And so I walk in, and the first thing that I say to her is, I am just so sorry that you were going through this. And then I start imagining what I could possibly do or say that might be helpful. But then she says, I need to tell you something. I have lived a difficult life, and this week has been uh, one of the worst. But I have faith, and God will help me. And I said, yes, he will. And and if, if there's anything you need, I'm here for you. And then she started chuckling, and she, she takes her finger. She has rheumatoid arthritis, and so she, you know, shaking. She points her finger right at my face, and she says, you know what, Mr. Roy? She says, you need me more than I need you. I have been alive for 89 years, and I have handled a lot, and God has helped me. You see that. I do need help but I am not a wimp. You see that, right? Friends, they come and visit me, and they say, oh, life is hard, and I say, I know it is, sweetie, but you know what? The God that I serve loves you, and he'll help you. And they've come back, and they've said how much my faith has helped them. So you see, Mr. Roy, I'm not a wimp. I help people with their faith. Do you believe that? I think that God brought you to me so that I could help you with your faith. Do you believe that, Mr. Roy? I, I took her hand, and I said the only thing that I could say in that moment, and that was, yes, ma'am. I do believe you, Miss Oliver. And you know what? I do believe her. Because in that moment, I realized that I wasn't her hero. God didn't send me there to bless her. I wasn't at her house on some Good Samaritan mission. I was there a minister, and she was ministering to me, being my neighbor. So Jesus tells the parable of the man who was walking along the road, who was beaten and robbed and left for dead, and who received mercy and compassion from a stranger who saved his life. It's probably not going to be a good title for the story. Uh, So we'll probably continue calling this the story of the Good Samaritan. But this week, here is my prayer for me and my prayer for you. That we have eyes to see the ways in which others have blessed us. That we see these blessings as the love of Christ. And let us see how our own wounds are now serving as lessons in how to be compassionate. And finally, let us celebrate the sacred act of stopping and paying attention. And finally, let us hear the words of Jesus who says, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Our Holy Father, we pray for the eyes to see the world. We pray for ears to hear your word. And we pray for hands and feet to go to places that you send us. And help us to see the blessing 
that you are in our lives through the kindness and the love of others. Help us to be compassionate and help us to do likewise. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.